Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Welcome, everyone. So glad you're here. You know, we're using Happiness as an Inside Job from Sylvia Borstein this month, and I'll, I'll tip you off to her thesis statement. Her belief, and it's one that I hold, is that we're actually in control over most of our happiness and our unhappiness. Last week, you'll remember we talked about it's not so much what happens as it is our reaction and our emotions corresponding to what happened. And we talked quite a bit about the idea of, of actually exercising a bit more control, that we have the power both to prolong a sadness or not, prolong an anger or not, or prolong a happiness or not. That the initial reaction, of course, perhaps out of our control, but once that initial uh, emotional impact is felt, really we're in charge. We can take care of ourselves and move through some of our our upsets that uh, perhaps traditionally we would just sit with longer than we needed to. Well, today we're going to build on this idea of happiness coming from the inside out. And specifically, we're going to be talking about the Buddhist notion that she, she brings forward in the book called wise effort. The idea that we can choose our actions and our verbalizations that will tend to promote happiness or loving kindness rather than the opposite. So it's actually giving us the tools to do what we talked about last week. Um, but I want to start with a stolen plant story. And I wish this were the joke. We will get a joke, and it will be later. Uh, but last year, uh, Daniel and I planted up a, a bit of a spare yard that we have. We, we bought a mini lot next to our lot when we bought the house with the idea of having it in a garden. And last year, we finally got around to planting one part of it that's not well seen and, uh, and really had been mostly vacant uh, since we lived in the house. And anyway, the way we did this was actually by dividing our other plants. We actually had enough to make a pretty decent flower bed in our, quote, spare lot. And so uh, we did that last summer and uh, went on a little vacation and came home to find someone had taken all of our plants, literally dug them up out of our yard. I know, I know. Even just in telling the story, my mouth drops open, right? And, and not probably like us, you probably go to that place of, well, who would do this? And, and like, why could this happen? And like, this was in our yards and kind of a feeling a little bit of betrayal. And I, and I have to tell you, for about three days, Daniel and I were not in a place of loving kindness around us. <laughs> Notions of police reports and things like that were swirling through our heads. In fact, I, I remember, it, I can remember it was like yesterday, it had gotten uh, dark, I think it was the next day it had gotten dark, and we decided that we would walk through the neighborhood and peer over fences. <laughs> <laughs> Because we were just sure we would see our plants planted in. But do you see what we're doing, right? It's like we were actually, pro well, first of all, we were in denial. Like, how could this happen? This is like, you know, this is a neighborhood. How could this happen? And then the second thing we were doing, of course, was 
we were prolonging it. So it was unacceptance, which we talked about a lot last week, and really the idea of almost getting even, like how, how are we going to get even somehow with the universe for this happening? Luckily, though, a couple days later, we were out in the yard doing a little more of our own sweat equity, <laughs> and it occurred to us, you know, these are the plants, these are the starts and the extra plants that we've been giving away to families and neighbors for years. And although the means of delivery was quite different, <laughs> right? Do you see how just flipping it just slightly in our heads? Now, is that the way we wanted the universe to work? Well, no. But I tell you, what a wonderful way of getting something to the people who needed and wanted it, right? <laughs> and they did all the work. Thank you. <laughs> so I'd like to suggest that even something that on the surface is way more than even unwelcome can be turned around. Now, this week we're going to try to begin learning how we can do that a little sooner than three days later, right? Uh, but honestly, actually three days later is still within the realm of goodness and decency, right? Haven't you known people who might hold that kind of a grudge or wall off their heart from their neighbors for, for years to come? And so, so actually, although it would have been nice if we would have gotten there right away, I'm pretty happy with how we handled it. In the, in the end, we also learned uh, something that we've done ever since then. So, so this summer when we did some divisions and other things, not only did we plant them in the, in the yard again, we put some out on the curb with a sign that said, enjoy our plants. <laughs> it's like, make plans. Okay, so, so what this means to me is this idea, first of all, of wise effort in terms of our words and our actions. So, so we started out with that idea of, of course, being outraged. Our, our, our words in particular to each other's and about the neighborhood not what you would want to hear. But we were able to turn that around. You see, we were able to say things like, uh, like thank heavens, uh, uh, you know, this is something that we can regrow. These were just starts in our yard. Glad to know this isn't personal, right? We learned to not think this was somehow personal against us. It was just people wanting plants. Um, we really, uh, really thought about the neighborhood getting more beautiful over time uh, through our plants. And so, so one by one, we tried to knock down some of the negative thoughts that we had swirling around about this incident and turn it into something more positive. Not to ignore the fact of what happened, though, right? The next year... To keep our plants safe, we offered up some others, right? So we're not ignoring, we're not denying what happened. We're actually using that as information for moving forward in a positive way. So loving kindness through our words, loving kindness through our actions. Sylvia Borstein says, this is how we make happiness work. And her thesis, I think, is cunning. It's almost as though when we are putting out goodwill, when we are putting out civility, when we are turning from being angry uh, into someone who's more compassionate, 
There's a couple things that work here, some good old-fashioned uh, science of mind principles. One, what you put out comes back to you, right? And so by our efforts at changing our attitude around the neighborhood, I have noticed in the last year that the neighbors seem friendlier. Now, maybe it's in my head. Well, of course, isn't everything <laughs> in my head? So let me rephrase that a different way. My experience of the neighborhood, and that's all that really counts, right? My experience of the neighborhood is that we're friendlier. We're now known as the people that put their plant starts out. Isn't that a sweet thing? And you know what else happened this summer? Someone swapped. <laughs> Away went some iris starts, and in their place were a couple daylilies. <laughs> right? The other thing that we can work on beyond our words and our actions uh, is something almost trivial in a way that I hate to bring up, and so I'm going to introduce it with today's joke. So it was coming up to Black Friday, and rumors of the sale and some of the deep discounts had been circulating around the town for weeks. When the small, middle-aged man arrived at the store's parking lot, he had been having dreams of the sale for some time. However, a long line had already formed. The man locked his car, started to walk up to the front of the line, but before he could make much progress at all, the line splintered into a mass of unruly shoppers. He was pushed back to the sidelines amid colorful curses. Well, the determined fellow checked his watch. Only 15 minutes until the store was set to open. He needed to be up front. He began to push his way gently but firmly into the crowd. Excuse me, please, he said. Excuse me, please let me have a little courtesy here. But once again, he was pushed back. You should wait like everyone else, said an elderly woman near the back of the line. What makes you think you're so special? Well, said the little man, I do have the keys to the front door. <laughs> And so, yes, friends, sadly, I have to report that I'm going to be talking about manners for a few minutes. Could it be that one of the things that's bringing us down in the World Happiness Report is that we're just not as nice to each other as we used to be? And whether it's on social media or people that we meet in stores, whether it's uh, with friends and family, or, or maybe an email and in formats where we're actually inter uh, uh, interjecting with people that we don't even know, could it be that the warmth and the civility and the niceness has simply reduced over time? Sylvia Borstein says that a great place to start with loving kindness is just manners. And so I, I offer you up, you know me in the internet, I found 25 manners that kids should know. And uh, I, at first I thought, well, this is sort of silly. I mean, it starts with please and thank you, right? And we, we've kind of got please and thank you. But the more I read over the list, I wondered, well, maybe we think it only applies to children. Maybe we think that once we're older, these manners 
are suddenly optional or not worth much. And so I'm not certainly going to go over 25 of them, but I did want to highlight a few of them that I've kind of noticed we've uh, either ignored or chosen to uh, not particularly pay any attention to anymore. The first one that I wanted to talk about, actually it's number three after please and thank you on here, is no interruptions, and here's what it says. Do not interrupt grown-ups who are speaking with each other unless it's an emergency. And, and, I, and I had to laugh, but why would that just be for kids? <laughs> Have you noticed the amount of interruption going on? People trying to jumpstart into their own conversations by finishing other people's sentences and making conclusions before the speech is even over. Have you noticed yourself in that position of where a conversation almost sounds like a competition? So consider the no interruptions idea, not just for kids and adults, but my goodness, the idea of actually listening to someone until they're finished? <sighs> what a beautiful thing. What a sign of loving kindness to actually listen and let someone finish. Uh, number uh, six on the list, I had to laugh because we did a whole month on this not too long ago, but I just love the way it's phrased. The world is not interested in what you dislike Keep your griping to yourself. <laughs> and I had to think, of course, you know, this was written as though, you know, kids were coming with their griping. But on the other hand, have you noticed that some people spend way more time talking about what they don't like and what's wrong with the world, complaining, if you will, than they do talking about what they want to have happen in their life and the good things going on. And again, if we use science of mind principles at all, we know that what we put out gets magnified and comes back to us. So of course the idea of, of constantly talking about what's wrong and what I don't like is just going to produce not only more misery for us, but, but really for everyone. I love it. The world is not interested in what you dislike. <laughs> <laughs> and the reverse is such a, a wonderful way of making the universe and other people know what you do want. When you talk about what you do like, you're apt to get some of it. When you talk about what's pleasing to you and, and what brings you joy, oh my gosh, people are not only interested, but literally, you're apt to get some of it because they know. <laughs> It's wonderful. Manners. Who knew? Oh, here's another one. Here's another one. And I, I, I got to tell you, too, this, well, let me read it, and then I'll tell you my, my silly story. Uh, so this one is, never use foul language in front of grown-ups. They already, they, they already know all of those words, and they find them boring and unpleasant. And I got to tell you, I do find them boring and unpleasant, Right? And it isn't that I, I, I mean, I do recognize into our musical culture and into movies and into to kind of street lingo, I understand that profanity is there and it's not meant in particular offense. In fact, a lot of people who use profanity somewhat consistently don't even think about the words. The words themselves don't even have much of a meaning to them anymore. But my thesis is the very nature of the words 
is negative. And so by their continual use, there's a, a kind of a, a cloud of negativity. And so although, again, this list was aimed at kids, I would say let us not use foul language in front of anyone. When we pick our words more carefully, we certainly can get the same level of reaction, right? It's not that those words have a... Because I do also understand that sometimes a good expletive, you know, like is the exclamation point to a sentence, right? But I think that just shows a lack of creativity in some ways. (laughs) We, We really can punctuate our sentences in a way that will captivate or alarm, whichever way we want to make it, without needing words that by their very essence are demeaning to other people, uh, other races, other ways of being. There's just no need for it. The next two, I suspect these got on the list before we had social networking. The next two are don't call people mean names and don't make fun of anyone for any reason. And I got to tell you, if you've been looking at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram lately, it's as though the whole country didn't learn number 14 and number 15 on this list. Why is it, and in whose world would we... Well, let me put it another way. If those people were in the room with you, I bet that would not have been said. Do you know what I mean? I mean, I think sometimes for, for the purposes of humor or the purposes of irony or I don't know what, we will say things about people that we, we barely know uh, or that we don't know very well, and we'll do that in some kind of an electronic format, and I would just bet almost a million bucks that if they were in the room for me, with me and I had met them or they were there to witness what I was saying, I wouldn't say it. Or I would say it in some completely different way. And so here's another way you might say to yourself was, how does me, you know, like uh, ripping up a public figure of some kind, how does that hurt anyone, right? They're not going to hear my criticism or me calling them names. But I would suggest to you again, you're creating that, that general aura of negativity in which we all live and breathe and have our being. And so when we use the expletives, when we, when we talk down for people, even people who one might argue uh, uh, do have mental defects or do have poor choices or, or whatever it is, when we do name-calling, when we create an environment of, uh, uh, of potential violence and things like that, it literally brings us all down a bit, I think. So my point in talking about these, uh, quote, manners, um, let me approach it another way. Is everyone familiar with the idea of a gateway drug? Now, I know there's some controversy around this, right? The idea that using marijuana or even alcohol might lead to the use or abuse of, of stronger or more addictive drugs. That's the idea of a gateway drug. I want to suggest that good manners are a gateway drug. I think that good manners might actually lead us into more civility and happiness and getting along better and raising the general level 
of happiness in the world. Let me use uh, one example here, and then, uh, then I'll move on to another topic. Um, I had the great honor of attending a, a nephew's a senior class play in high school at, uh, at Tualatin High School last night. And, uh, uh, oh gosh, the singing was great and the orchestra was horrible. <laughs> but but that's, that's neither here nor there. I certainly enjoyed the evening, was fabulous. Uh, and, and, and of course, the nephew did great. Really, the actors uh, and everything was lovely. But one thing I noticed is, uh, was an audience of fidgeters. Uh, so it was actually in a, a lovely theater. They have a, a, a beautiful actual theater complex uh, at Tualatin High School. And, and so much like you were in a movie theater, if people wanted to uh, get out and use the restroom or buy treats or, or go out in the hall and text people endlessly or all of the things that high school kids might want to do, they were having to walk in front of you through the aisles. And what I noticed, uh, it, it was so obvious, 50 and above said, excuse me, and 49, and well, I didn't actually get their driver's licenses to see, but, but somewhere in the neighborhood of the 40s or younger, people just push their way through, just stepping on your feet and pushing their way through. And it occurred to me right then, the difference is something so simple makes in the world. We actually struck up conversations with the people that said, excuse me, right? It was like the, the excuse me was the invitation to, well, uh, oh, of course, are you enjoying the show? Oh, yes, my, my granddaughter's in it, right? You know, it, it was like, and then when they come back, hi, how are you? Right? It's like the invitation to play nice with one another. It's the invitation in its simple way to begin the conversation of friendliness. And instead, so many of the people, and in general I would say it was the younger people, just pushed their way through. I have no time to be civil, you know. I need to get out in the lobby. I need to text, you know, it's like mi mission-centered, you know. I need to be somewhere else than where I am now. And so what's the, what's the fastest, less complicated way, right? I think it's paying attention to doing what you are right in the moment. I think part of the reason that this is a, a Buddhist practice that we're reading about this month is that idea of being in the moment. In the moment as I'm going to the lobby, it's, it's not about not being here and being there. there. There's time involved in between that we still get to account for. How can I be my highest and best uh, self even on my way to the lobby? How can I bring about compassion and joy even when I'm in the car going somewhere? Life isn't so much about destination. In fact, as soon as you're in the next destination, right? Many people are already thinking then, and then the next, right? It's like even some of you right now are thinking about, oh, 12.30, we're going to have brunch. <laughs> right? Right? Of course we are. I'm here to suggest that our civility, our loving kindness can take place every instant of every day. And sure, a gateway to that, a gateway drug to that is common courtesy, but also, last week you'll remember, I asked you if you'd be willing for a week to try installing a filter in your head. 
Remember? And the filter worked this way. The filter that I asked you to put in your head was filtering your environment for things coming to you that were unpleasant. So when you saw a change or a request or something coming towards you that was unpleasant, I asked you to take notice of it and ask yourself simply, is it really unpleasant? Or am I just reacting to someone wanting me to change in some way, right? The idea of, was it really neutral, but I'm resistant to any kind of change? That idea of really evaluating, am I just being a putz about this, right? Am I just reacting negatively because someone wants me to do something? Or in reality, is it something really that is unpleasant or that I wouldn't normally do or want to do? So that was your, your homework last week. And I would like to suggest that this week I want to add one more step to it. The step is, how can you bring compassion and civility into the moment? Loving kindness, if you will. So let me give you a couple examples. There may be times when people come to you with a request that's really unpleasant. Like, I need you to do this. I want you to do this. It's something you wouldn't normally do. It's something that maybe you don't even think should be done, but you're stuck doing it. Maybe it's a boss asking you to do it. Maybe it's someone that you care about deeply and you're willing to do it even though you're not called to do it. How can we bring compassion to a moment like that? Well, first of all, and the place to start, is compassion for yourself. And that's one that we often overlook or, or, or kind of just skip over. Maybe it's time, Larry, for you to take a breath. Maybe you need to sit down on this one. Let's not react to it in the moment. Let's not get all bent out of shape because someone's asking you to do something that you think is wrong or think is unpleasant, right? Am I going to resist it or am I going to accept it and move on? We get to make that call. Sometimes we do need to say no, right? But so very often we're going to say yes. Am I going to do that in a resentful way or can I bring loving kindness to it? So first up, the loving kindness would look like, wow, okay, I guess I'm going to do this. Let me take a breath. So compassion for yourself. The next thing I would invite you to do is maybe to look at, at compassion for other people that are affected. So often the changes that come our way are not just for us. It's a change that is either legislated out to a workforce by the boss, maybe legislated out literally by legislature changes that come, right? And so often we're not the only one affected. Another place for compassion is the other people who are affected by it. And how do we do that level of compassion? By talking to them, by allowing them to talk about some of their concerns. You'll find that instead of, uh, of uh, that kind of gossipy atmosphere, if you approach it from the perspective of loving kindness, it will often turn into positive problem solving. So you might say something like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry they changed that rule. That's really going to affect a whole bunch of us. I wonder if there's something we could do collaboratively to make up for this negative change. Do you see how we, we switched it from 
Did you hear what they did? <laughs> Let's dig in our heels and really be awful about it. We changed it to, we changed it to that idea of, oh my gosh, let's be kind to one another. Let's see if there are some things we can do for each other out of compassion that will make this better. Now, the third thing we can do in terms of loving kindness is a little trickier. It's maybe the advanced course in loving kindness. And that is, can we show compassion for the person requiring the change, the perceived perpetrator, if you will, of the negativity. That one's tougher, but it's not that hard either. It goes along the lines of, I wonder what he was thinking. I wonder if this was really being done out of fear. I wonder if maybe there are other things going on here in this other person's life that I'm not aware about. I'm not really happy about this change, but my word, that really took a lot of effort to get that out on the table. I'm hopeful that we can work through this, but what he or she must be going through to make a decision like that. Do you see how we can even give compassion for someone who has given us something quite unpleasant? Are you ready for just the tiniest bit more homework? <laughs> so we've got the filter. We're noticing things coming our way that we're not happy with. We're going to evaluate it whether it's really negative or not. And then we're going to apply some compassion for ourselves or others, right? We're going to say to ourselves, okay, Larry, whew, that's a big gulp. Sit down, take a breath. What do I need to nurture myself? What do I need to do for myself to get through this in a positive way? Let's not try to deny it's happening. Let's uh, allow our emotions to run their course. I might initially be pissed off, but now let us do self-compassion. And then where it affects other people, see if you can extend that compassion to the other people who may be affected by that change. Okay, I've given you probably way too much homework, and yet... My theory is, and I think it's a good one, it is through compassion that I find happiness. It's through making sure that my heart remains open that I am open to seeing the good side of life. When I'm in that place of anger, when I'm in that place of sorrow, when I linger in resentment and not wanting certain things to be the way they are, happiness is out the window. Happiness cannot find its way into my heart. And so whether it's through a, a, a gateway drug, like simple good behavior, right? <laughs> through, through following uh, just compassionate acts, or whether it's intentionally, as we're describing in our homework, trying to reverse a negative decision, I think that this is increasing the happiness of the planet itself. And I would like you to give it a try if you're willing. So let me close today with a, a quote from uh, Sylvia Burstein's book and, of course, a prayer. She says, Kind speech makes the mind feel safe and also glad. The Buddha's eightfold path of practice mandates that speech that is true and kind and, helply and helpful and timely. 
And in terms of wise effort, that idea of being wise in what we say and what we do, I think of training my mind so that the inner narrative that accompanies me as I go about my days, I think that it is true and kind and helpful and timely and gentle. Maybe a good way to think about all of this is teaching the mind to have good manners. There's one power, one presence, one life, one God. I know this one thing goes by many names in the, the different religions and cultures of the world. Let me today just call it God. I know that God is all-powerful, all-present, all-loving. I know that God is in my affairs. I know that for each person here in this room, there, there is that goodness and life that is God moving through all of us. And that when we pay attention to it, when we notice it, when we begin directing it in ways that are simply kind, that idea of loving kindness, of, of good manners, of treating our neighbors with, uh, with honor and respect, I know that when we do that, the entire temper of the world is lifted up, that, that, that we become beacons of light in our own small ways, uh, creating a neighborhood that feels more self and welcoming, uh, uh, being a, a point of life out when we're shopping or in our business world, uh, that each one of us has the ability to bring light to the darkest of situations. And so for this week and on beyond, I know that each one of us has that available to us, that we can make choices in loving kindness. And so for this, simply, the, know, simply the, the heartfelt knowledge that we get decision by decision to make that choice buoys up my heart. And for this, I give great thanks. I release this prayer into the activity and action of the law itself. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you're here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.